You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Everyone, good morning, happy Thanksgiving as well. We are not too far away from that. I've been counting down for like the last eight weeks, and so I'm very aware that it's very soon, and I hope Thanksgiving treats you well, however you find yourselves with COVID and all the, all the stuff that, that brings to the table. My name is Matt Tucker. If I didn't say that, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be preaching this morning, and as Kelly said, finishing up our book that we've been in from 1 Thessalonians. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump on in. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for your love for us. Thanks that you continue to work in and through us to accomplish your mission. And God, as we look at 1 Thessalonians, the end of it today, we have a lot of practical information. And God, as we wade through that, I pray that we would hear that and receive it as good instruction and also be encouraged that you are the one that will build your church. You are the one that sustains all of this. And you give us the power to to, to continue on. God, for me, help me to do my best and to say what is true and to be encouraging. And God, I pray that our church would be built up by, by the word this morning. We pray this in your good name. Amen. Um, man, we're going to start out with a vote this morning. hope I didn't catch you by surprise with that. But I want you to raise your hand if you love the game charades. By a show of hands, who loves the game charades? All right? I'm get, keep them up. Look around. Now put them down. And in the other side of this vote, you may be guessing this is, is who thinks charade is like living hell just raise your hands if this is like your nightmare look around that may be helpful if you're gathering with people for christmas or not be mindful of that because there are very different opinions on the game charades if you're unfamiliar with it it's a game where you have to act out a phrase or something like that that the person up front knows and, and his team is trying to guess or understand and paul today in our focal passage is not playing charades with the Thessalonians, but he knows what a healthy church looks like in his head, and he's trying to get the Thessalonians to understand this. And throughout today's text, Paul drops clues by way of instruction to help them to get this concept. We've been going through 1 Thessalonians, like we've said, and if you're new to it, or if this is your first Sunday on, Paul is the author of this book, and he's not with the church anymore. He started this church, it's a newer church, and he has been run out of town. So in, in essence, the lead pastor, or in this case, Michael, has been run out of town, and he's not with him, and we haven't run Michael out. He's actually with Cedar City today, encouraging them, and so we haven't done that. But Paul's been run out of town. He's not with them, and he's writing back to this church, encouraging them, talking to them about end times things, talking to them about how to live as a Christian, and also laying on a lot of encouragement because this church is doing a good job. And as Paul gets to the end of this letter um, to the church, he gives them some very specific instructions because they are a young church. It's practical instruction as to how to be a healthy church in that time. And we might find ourselves with some tensions or some misses today, and we want to make sure we kind of address those up front as we hear this. Maybe you, like the Thessalonians, are unaware as to how to foster a healthy church. Maybe you've been a part of the church for 10 or 15 years or your whole life, and you're here and saying, I don't know what it means to help create a healthy church. What do I do? Where do I start? What do I not do? And Paul talks about some of these things today. Maybe another tension is this for you. Maybe you don't care enough about the church's health. Maybe you've been here and you think the church has been here for 2,000 years and the church will probably be here for another 2,000 years and it doesn't really depend on my participation 
or not. Maybe, maybe we don't value the church like we ought to. And the third tension I want us to be aware of this morning is maybe you want the church, maybe you value church health and you put it all on your shoulders. You, you bear the weight of it and that causes stress for you. Maybe you're serving on four teams and, and maybe you're giving maybe above your means and, and you, you just put that all on your shoulders and all of a sudden it's, there's burnout and there's stress and, and there's weight that is not yours to bear. So most of us here can probably relate maybe to one of those tensions and sometimes you're feeling like maybe you're not doing enough and other times maybe it feels like you're doing too much and you find yourself somewhere in the middle. Last week, Paul cleared up some stuff about the second coming and the rapture, and this week, he brings us down to earth on um, giving us some specific instruction for a healthy church. And so today, the main idea, if you're taking notes, write this down, I think it'll be on the screen, the main idea is this, knowing our sanctification is secured by Jesus, it frees us to live out God's commands for the flourishing of the church. So on the screen, I'm going to read it one more time, this is the big idea Knowing our sanctification is secured by Jesus frees us to live out God's commands for the flourishing of the church. So we're going to start, I'm going to set up point one, and then we're going to read a little bit on it. But point one is this, respect your leaders for the work they do. Respect your leaders for the work they do, and this will kind of be tied to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And a couple observations on that before we jump in and read that section. Paul is gone, and there's no replacing him. Paul is like the leader of leaders, the pastor of pastors. He is an apostle. He, he planted multiple churches, went on multiple missionary trips, and he planted the church in Thessalonia. And I think that church flourished because of who he was. God spoke to him. God blinded him on a road and saved him. Everything about Paul's life was miraculous and amazing. And now he's gone, and the people are left with maybe like a new leader. We'll call him Steve. And he's this young guy that just doesn't know how to, to maybe to care for the people like Paul did. He might not even know where to find Amos in his Bible. And so they are struggling, and it's a different feel because Paul is gone and new leadership is there. Also, most of the church was made up of very new Christians. And these Christians haven't lived in, in church homes. They haven't been raised by maybe parents that love God. They haven't been around the church to see what a healthy church looks like. And so they need to be told specifically what to do in order to live out this Christian life. And so Paul is gone. Some new pastors are caring for some new Christians. And Paul is about to give the people instruction for the flourishing of a healthy church. And so if you have your Bibles, join me. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And that will kind of tie in this first point. Paul says this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And so Paul asked the church to respect the pastors because of the work that they do, specifically the work that they do among the church. They serve in it, the work they do over the church by leading and shepherding it and also he adds to this admonishing the church. That's like correcting or instructing them or calling out sin. That word admonish means you have to warn or to reprimand firmly. And so the new pastor is probably not going to be as impressive um, as Paul was to this young church. But, but Paul wants them to know, hey, whoever this new pastor is, whoever the new leadership is, they are deserving of respect. Not necessarily because of who they are, but because of the work that they're doing. And then Paul also adds to this. He says, be at peace among yourselves. And as I was preparing for this one commentary I read said this, the logical outgrowth for a church that loves and respects its pastors is peace. 
That's not the absence of all problems. That doesn't mean we, we hide our face on a rug when there's something going on. But when you love and respect your leaders, when there's love and respect member to member, peace will be the outflow of that. Peace is life-giving in any church context, and especially for one with new believers. And so the first part of point number one is this. If you're taking notes, there's point number one, and that is respect your leaders for the work they do. Point number one under that is respect the pastors God places over you. Before we get too deep into this, I want to clarify some things because it might sound like I'm kind of like holding up church work over any other type of work. And we all know that, that all work, if done for God's glory, is important. And so I want to clarify a couple of things. Paul is not saying that the pastors in Thessalonica or the pastors of the village church here are awesome on their own. It's not the case at all. He's not holding up people. He's not saying that, that I or the other pastors um, are awesome because of our, our killer dad jokes or, or well-placed puns that we drop on people or even awkward handshakes. That, that's not what does it for the church, um, meaningful or not. He's not saying that pastors deserve respect for any of those things. And Paul is not saying that the work anyone else does outside of the church is less important. He's specifically talking about the context of the church. And so... Um, that's what I want you to know this morning. It is about how members respect pastors in the church for the health of the church. And so what does it look like to respect your pastors? Maybe you're wondering that this morning, and it might even seem awkward me saying, hey, respect me because I'm one of the elders of the church, and I'm not saying that this morning, but what I'm trying to tell is this is what Paul's telling this church, and this is what we want you to know about the church that you are a part of. One of the ways we can respect the pastors is by encouraging them and praying for them. That is, that is huge, and gosh, we value this a ton for us, and we feel built up and cared for and respected when you do that. Sometimes um, we'll get a text throughout the week, and it, it'll be just a person saying, hey, I thought of you today. We prayed for you. Um, thanks for whatever. And again, I'm not saying do that tomorrow or else we won't feel cared for, but when you do that, that shows care, that shows respect, and that is encouraging to us. Another way we get to show respect is by being patient um, and, and being for the pastors, um, church life is very complicated, and everyone has thoughts on things, and culture weighs heavy on how we view things, and so we do, are doing the best we can, and we're not perfect, but to wade through stuff, and we value and feel respected when, when you are patient, dealing with things, and, and being for us as, as leadership. And another way we get to do this is by submitting to leadership as well. And submission might sound like a heavy word, but submission is you trusting your pastors to make wise decisions based on how God is leading for the good of the church. And so we value that a ton. And again, we don't say this blindly. If we're being a fool up here, then you get to call us out in peace. But that's kind of what Paul calls us to. And lastly, for one more point, here's what Paul does. A pastor's work is to care for God's family. That's, that's why Paul says respect your pastors for the work that they do. A pastor's work is to care for God's family. Pastors are responsible for God's most valuable possession, and that is, that is you. That's me. We're all a part of the church. I'm a church member as well, and we are God's most valuable possession. Acts 20, 28 says this, pay careful attention. This, this is the pastors. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And Hebrews 13, 7, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account to the Lord. That's like crazy, isn't it? That's, 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 that's weighty. That's, that's scary. The work of a pastor is consistently to point you and ourselves to Jesus, to remind us of the gospel, and to care for your souls. And I just want to do a little, a little teaching on, on what we do 
I know Michael has said before, you know, some people, when he's playing soccer, when he's coaching, it's like, yeah, you just basically preach a message, and that takes a couple hours a week, right? And so, so what do you do the whole week? And so I thought it might be good just to, to pause for a second and say, this, this is kind of the things that we do. I'm not going to name activities, but kind of big ideas that, that we do. And so I'm going to read something real quick. This is on one of the Village One pages, and we have multiple of those. We can share that with you if you want to. But this is what it says. For the Village Church, pastors carry out the highest level of burden and leadership within the village. They are the primary shepherds under Jesus, and their primary purpose is to know, feed, lead, and protect the flock that is the village church. In regards to knowing, the shepherd and the sheep must know and be known by one another. In regards to leading or feeding, the shepherd provides spiritual nourishment and truth. In regards to leading the church, the shepherd provides leadership, discernment, and direction. In regards to protection, the shepherd provides defense against false and sinful thinking and behavior. And so, again, haven't talked about tasks specifically, but I hope that gives you a general idea of what we strive to do. Again, imperfectly, but that's our desire for you guys to know, feed, lead, and protect the flock. And Paul finishes these two verses with this little phrase, be at peace among yourselves. Peace is, again, like I said, not ignoring bumps in the road. It's not putting our head down or being really frustrated with something and saying, well, peace is just not, not dealing with it. We're a family. The Bible calls this church a body. And just as there will be problems, miscommunications, and accidents in a regular family, so there will be some of this in the church as well. We feel respected. Pastors feel respected if you engage in church life with a mindfulness of seeking respect as you go through all these things. Peace both member to member and peace both member to pastor. And we do our, our best to teach theology, to engage in culture, to lead and shepherd in ways that are helpful, and we love it, and it's, it's life-giving to us when there is respect and peace is sought after in all those things. We love you guys and really desire to care for you well. That's kind of just a tender note from myself. Our main point, again, for that is respect your leaders for the work they do. Point number two, we're moving down the, the section a little bit. Point number two is this, members are to take responsibility for other members. And this is found kind of from 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. And so I'm going to read that for us right now. Follow along again if you have your Bibles or it might be on the screens. This is what Paul says, starting in 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Wow. So that's like a lot. Again, I preface this by saying there's a lot of instruction. I'm not here to just give you a list of things to do. I promise at the end of this, we'll kind of balance all this out with, with a lot of gospel. Um, but what I do hope is that this is helpful for some of you. I was talking to Liz and, and Corey, wherever he is. He's probably in December before the gathering. And I was talking about how I, I don't want this to just sound like do this, don't do this, think like this, don't think like this. And they were saying, well, sometimes for me, that's just really helpful. Sometimes even us, as we've been a part of the church for a while, just need to say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And you're like, ah, well, I can do that. And so I hope that this is helpful. I'm going to try to teach in a way that, that invites and, and um, shows care for you guys as we go through this. So again, point number two, members are to take responsibility for other members. Paul moves on in verse 14 and 15 to give instruction to members on how to care and take responsibility for other members around them. Again, point one was member to, to pastor. Point number two is member to member. Paul's language intensifies from asking for the respect of the pastors to now urging fellow members to obey certain instruction for the health of the church. 
any unhealth in the church is important, and Paul calls us to urgently engage in that. So Paul calls the church to, to, for a couple different things. He says, admonish the idol. And I don't know if you use the word admonish a lot. Again, we, we talked about it earlier, it's to teach or instruct. And this idol, it's, it's not an image or anything like that, but to be idle is, is to be lazy. Um, also with that, when I looked up this definition, it also says with it to um, be purposeless or ineffective, pointless. And so this isn't someone who just maybe doesn't want to do something or they don't have a job, but this is someone who maybe is, is mindfully absent from it. The, the church is not their responsibility. I'm not going to engage with the care of the church, and this is, I think, who Paul is talking with. Um, someone who is not contributing, not plugged in, not pushing the mission forwards, and he says, admonish those people. The next encouragement that Paul gives is to encourage the faint-hearted and to help the weak. And real quickly, just two definitions for that. Faint-hearted is more of, I think, an emotional or mental state. Um, for the Thessalonians, they had a lot of persecution outside the church coming in on them. And from what we know from the rest of this book, a lot of people in their church had just passed away, causing all these questions about the rapture and the second coming, and they're dealing with a lot of loss and they're mourning. And Paul says, care for these people with patience, care for the faint-hearted. And he adds in the weak as well. I think this is more of maybe the physical state of people in the church that are maybe struggling. Maybe it's struggling financially. Maybe it refers to um, the sick, um, those types of people who have had stuff happen to them and, and they're going through a tough time. He says, care for the weak with patience. And he also says, um, patience, man, like if I can stop and just be very genuine with you, I'm, I'm not a patient person. Um, and I'm trying to grow in that. I don't say that like just like, ha, ah, deal with it. But I say, man, like this was weighty to me this week when, when Paul's talking about patience because what I like to do is have an idea of a week or have an idea of the day and then have it play out the way I think it goes. And it might be as something as like small as something comes into us that's unexpected and it just derails me. It's not that I get angry or whatever, but it's just maybe you can relate to this. It's just like, I've got to account for that now or I've got to rearrange this or now I can't do this and it feels like everything's derailed and so I don't know if you can relate to that but I man this was weighty to me as I as I read about patience patience is being able to accept or tolerate delays problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious and so this is something I get to grow and I get to grow in patience and maybe you get to do the same thing and, and if the urge to be patient is not enough Paul casually throws on this last bit of instruction this, I quote him See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another eh, and everyone else. And so it's like, you know, just throw this rock on you and you, you, all this instruction already. And hey, hey, you know, care for the weak and care for the faint-hearted and, and respect your leaders. And then, and then be kind to the people in the church eh, and to everyone. Just, just, just be kind to everyone. So we're just like, whew. and what I want us to know. We'll get to some, some grace and some, some health and some gospel in just a second. But the church is messy. That's what Paul's trying to get across, right? The church is not a place where perfect people engage in perfect ways and everyone is happy. Some here have been Christians um, very recently, and they have a ton of baggage to sort through. And some here have been Christians for 30 years, and they have a ton of baggage to sort through. The church is made up of sinful people saved by grace on the path to sanctification, and so there will be some hurt. There will be misunderstandings. There will be things that you hope to see that don't come to happen, or you might feel neglected, or that we're, we don't talk to you on a Sunday morning, and that's not intentional. That's just probably life happening, and, and we want to care for you, but there will be misses. And with that, Paul urges the church to engage in some spiritual and physical ways. 
So I'm going to um, take those things and, and shape them just a little bit for encouraging, um, caring for the weak, all those things. This is what Paul says, and this is what I want to boil down for us as the Village Church. Church members are called to take action in three different ways. Um, we're called to correct, to care, and to show kindness. Do you know that it is your responsibility as a church member to call out sin in someone else's life? And we hear all the time, you can't judge me, or you know, God is my judge, and, and God is the judge for sure. But Paul says, as a member to a member of the same church, we get to, out of love, call out sin in someone else's life. When there's a part of someone's life that is contrary to the gospel, it is our responsibility to make them aware of this. And this goes both ways as well, right? This, this doesn't mean that I get to call out all of your stuff and that you don't get to call out my stuff. We together get to grow, to sharpen each other in um, spiritual living. And so um, I want you to be able to, to, to be aware of that. Um, there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do that. What the wrong way is, looks like is like coming to someone with a chip on your shoulder thinking that we're better than them and saying, hey, you know, I noticed that you, you really stink in this area and you're a horrible parent and you do this and don't do that and you're horrible with your money and so get it right, right? That's, that's not going to build them up. That's not going to shape them to want to have the desire to honor God in those things. But what we get to do, and, and, and maybe you do this well, but this is what I invite us all into, is when we see something else in someone else's life that is, that is not in alignment with the Bible, what we get to say is, hey, brother or sister, I've been praying for you. Man, I'm not perfect either, and I struggle with a ton of stuff that you could probably call out, but I notice this in your life, and, and this is not healthy for you. If this continues, gosh, like you will not be able to honor God as effectively or serve as effectively, and so, man, I want you to know this, but can I walk with you through this? Can I care for you? Can I pray for you right now? And I want you to know this is not coming from, from arrogance or, or me being better, but this is me coming alongside you and saying, I desperately want you to be able to honor Christ in this way, to have victory over this area. And I hope that when we say things like that to one another, the church will be built up and the church will be healthier because we are taking responsibility for other believers. We're also called to care. And this is, again, more so the physical side of things. There are people in the church today right beside you that are going through tough times, and you might not be aware of it because sometimes they don't say these things. Someone might be having a loss of a loved one today or dealing with something right beside you. And so we get to say, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to care for you this week? What do you need for me to be able to build you up and help you to go through this week um, in, a, in a healthier way? The big idea Paul is trying to get across is that the church is a family or a body. And when something is wrong, it should be mine and your highest concern to care for them. We would do it in urgency, as, as Paul said. And the third action, the last action for this point number two is this. We have to live in kindness towards others. And man, I'm rushing through this stuff and, and I'm blanketing statements like be kind, but isn't it challenging? I want us to connect with this. When someone does something that is against you or offends you or hurts you, it is not in my nature and maybe it's not in yours to want to return that action that they did with kindness. It is the toughest thing. And Paul knows that when we do that, that's, that's going to deteriorate the health of the church. And he also adds to that though and says, gosh, also seek, not only don't do negative to negative, but also seek to do good to everyone. It's not just like, well, if someone's kind to me, then I'll be kind to them as well. But he says, have your eyes open. Be looking for things. Ask those around you how you might be able to be a blessing to them and encourage them and build them up. And that is like another level of kindness that, again, I don't do well. I was at the Fringe Coffee Shop um, on Monday of this last week. It's a newer coffee shop right down the road, and we had a staff meeting there. 
I was going to get a coffee there, and um, when I go up to the front, Patrick, who's the pastor of the Fringe, but also I think he runs that coffee shop, was like, hey, uh, someone paid it forward, and so your coffee is free. I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And like literally, not that I think the world is like just burning down around me, but like I was like shocked. It's like, it's like a kind thing that was done, and I'm the recipient of it. And I was like, well, that, that just makes my day, right? I just felt joy and happiness inside. And, and also what we get to do, though, what I tried to do is, is like, return it or pay it forward as well. One act of kindness for me changed how I just brightened my day up. And this might seem like such a trivial thing, but when we do these things, when we're actively doing good and spreading kindness, it does change how people think about things. So I encourage you to be on the lookout, intentionally seeking out how we might be able to do this. Genuine kindness flows from an understanding of kindness shown to us, and it's one of the greatest ways we reflect Christ to others. John 13, 34, and 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I know that kindness and love are slightly different, but they have the same general meaning. There's a ton of potential application for this point, but here's what I want us to focus on this morning. It might seem like a little thing to be idle or slow to care for someone's physical needs, but Paul says this is an urgent deal. Urgency means that we handle it quickly. We, we are not slow, like, oh, we hear of a need, and it's like, well, you know, in, in next week or next month, if I get around or get some time, I'd love, no, he says, drop what you're doing and care for that person. As a member, not taking ownership and responsibility for the church is not okay. And so I'm going to leave you with two questions as we wind down point number two, and these two questions are this. What is the small sin in your life that you need to urgently deal with. All of us are called to admonish each other, and at the same time, I think that we can do that to ourselves. We can, we can peer into our own hearts and our own minds, and we can say, what, what am I struggling with right now that has been going on for a while, and how do I urgently, by God's grace and with God's help, get to deal with this thing? We also get to do it with others, but we get to start with ourselves. So question one for this application is, what is a small sin in, in my life or your life that we get to urgently deal with? And question two for application is, are you looking for ways to care for others and to show kindness? The big idea being mindful of, of, of looking, being proactive in this type of activity. Members are to take responsibility for other members. Going to, to point number three, and um, I'm going to tie a couple of thoughts together that Paul has with this phrase, and this is point number three, remember God. And it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. So Paul asks us to esteem leaders for the work that they do, to take responsibility for other members. That's point two. And finally, point three is he gives us instruction for our personal lives. This is kind of to us as, as members. And, and some observation before we read this. T- well, actually, I'm going to read the text, and then we'll get into some observation on it. So this is um, verses 16 through 22. More instruction. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything and hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So hang with me. We're going to go through point number three, and then we'll get to the good news of of how we can do all of this. So some observation for the text we just read. Paul gives four main instructions in verses 16 through 22 to help keep God front and center in our lives. This was necessary because the Thessalonians were young believers and they didn't have spiritual mentors around them, probably, I'm, I'm guessing, but they didn't probably have as many spiritual mentors around them to say, hey, this is what a Christian life looks like. 
Connect with God. Be in prayer. Pray for others. Celebrate what God has done in your life. And also, this instruction was necessary because the Thessalonians' lives were probably cray-cray. They were church planters as well. They had a new church. They thought they had missed the rapture, and they had normal everyday life to deal with. Um, They had meals to cook, and they had kids that were sick, and they probably had like like sports stuff to take their kids to. They had, I, I, I tried to think of what they had, like gladiator practice or whatever. I don't know what it was, but they probably had all of these things, and their lives were crazy, and it was easy for them as well as for us to live life disconnected from God, just going through the day, kind of head down, doing the stuff, and missing God. Paul knew that these distractions could lead them to living a life totally disconnected from God, and so he gives them some final instruction to help them. And so this is our last bit of instruction. I encourage you to hang with me, think through these things with me. It's this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks, and don't quench the spirit. Just do those things. That's, that's all we get to do. And so these instructions are not chores to do, but Paul's heart is this is like medicine to help us connect with God. This is medicine to help us flourish in our everyday spiritual lives. To engage in these practices means being consistently reminded of God's presence and power and purpose in our daily lives. And to ignore these practices means pursuing an eternal calling with human strength. It's impossible to do that. If we live disconnected from God and we try to do his work, it will be incredibly tough. We're not going to see the results that we hope for because we're removing God from the equation. It's like we're driving a car with no tires. It's, it's not going to happen. That many of us try to do this, and I try to do this in my life. And so what is, what is the answer for this? That's, that's why Paul gives us these, these four things. And my, my point for number three, number three is remember God, kind of point one under there, is constant communion with God is vital for spiritual health. And that might sound like just an understatement of the day. Why well, I know that that's very obvious. But each of Paul's four commands invites the hearer to connect with God in regular and meaningful ways throughout the day when we do those things. Um, just as we would call a marriage unhealthy if a husband or wife rarely talked, They rarely connected. They rarely worked through things together, and they rarely celebrated. So we would look at our relationship with God and say, if we rarely do these commands that Paul says, our relationship with God, we have to label unhealthy, and we can't stay there. Let's urgently deal with this. So let's look at the instruction a little closer. Paul says, rejoice always. This is joy that stems from knowing who God is and what he has done. So I'm going to read this little phrase that will help us to think through this um, a little better. Um, Actually, I'm not going to read a little phrase. Um, I have an example in my notes, and so I'm going to talk about an example. Um, <laughs> so, like, a lot of times, like I said earlier, the easiest things derail us, right? And maybe you can relate to this. I talked about earlier about how patience is a thing that I get to grow in. And so it's easy for me when I miss a red light to, like, you know, or whatever. Not going to be late, or, or someone doesn't respond the way I want them to, and it's like, Pfft. But what Paul says through all of this is that, you know what, he is in control. The red light doesn't derail my day. A person who responds differently doesn't derail my day. And and those are just temporary circumstances that that when I look above those things, I get to remember that, that God is king, that God is on his throne, that I am a Christian saved by grace, and those things are constant. Nothing can rip those from me, right? And so, Throughout the junk of the day, and there are more important things that can rob us of joy. I get that. Again, loss of a loved one, or there are serious things of, of health concerns. But even going through those, when we were reminded that God is present with us, and we get to talk with God constantly, that gives us joy that can be sustained through our life. Next, 
Um, pray without ceasing. This is um, a regular conversation with God throughout the day. This is, this is not Paul saying, always be talking to God out loud throughout the entire day. Well, I'm not going through my day, God, thank you, and we're walking through the store and whatever. But what this is, is this is us being in communion with God um, verbally. Maybe it's in our hearts or in our heads. And for me, I just want to give a quick example of this. This is something that I've actively been trying to do in my life for the last couple of years. And again, I have tons of room to grow in this. But when I go throughout my day, um, Tammy and I, when we wake up, we, we pray together in the morning before I go off to work. And we pray, God, I know that I will think about the day one way, and I know that you probably want me to think about the day a different way. So shape my thinking about this day. Give me power to go throughout the day in a way that pleases you. When I come across the street to come into the office here, um, this is what I'm growing in. I, I nine times out of ten pray that God will let me be a good pastor today, that I'm thankful for the opportunity I have to be here, and I pray that as I have conversations, as I plan, as I, whatever I do, that he would equip me for that because I know in myself I'm prone to live in my own strength, and I'm not going to connect with God, and I need that. And when we go to someone's house, generally, again, this is not me trying to brag, but this is trying to help shape what it, this could look like. When, when my wife and I go to someone's house, if, if they're not believers, we pray that God will let us be a light to them, that we might have conversation of how we might be able to share the gospel with them. And if, if they're one of you guys, then we pray that we will be a blessing in that time. We look for ways throughout the day to invite God to help us, knowing that we need him in all circumstances. Paul also encourages us to give thanks in all circumstances. And this is a little different from joy. Um, when, when we do the first two things, um, when we um, rejoice always and when we pray without ceasing, thankfulness is the result of these things. And, and I think Paul wants us to know this. We don't give thanks for all circumstances. The Bible doesn't say that. It's not trying to help us to be fake and, and something really horrible happens and we're like, well, God tells us to give thanks. So give thanks, brother. No, it's not saying give thanks for all circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances because, again, God is in control. God is sovereign and has the power to redeem those circumstances for his glory and our good. Everything we have is a gift from God and an opportunity to give him thanks. And so as we go throughout our day, the life that I live right now, the breath that I have, the house that you have, or, or the, the, the family that you have, or the opportunities that you have, we get to th see those things as gifts from a good God and thank him for those things, whether, again, it's good days or bad days, whether good experiences or circumstances or bad experiences. And lastly, this, this one kind of seems like a curveball. It's almost like which one of these doesn't fit here, which one doesn't belong, but it's do not quench the spirit. And this is the last command that Paul gives us. This might seem like a little bit of an oddball thing, um, but what he wants us to know is this. We can quench the Holy Spirit by despising prophecy. And, and man, like this opens up a ton of stuff, right? You're like, well, what is prophecy? Or do we have prophecy? All that stuff. For the Thessalonians, I'll talk about them first, and I'll talk about how it relates to us. For the Thessalonians, they were both good and bad prophets in their day. And so for them, they, they knew of prophets that were not God-honoring prophets. These prophets were out for their own money. They were saying things that God didn't tell them to say. And so it's easy to just avoid all prophecy, right? For the Thessalonians, they're like, well, I don't know what's right. I don't know what to do. And is, is God speaking? Or how do I know? And so they're just like, erase the whole thing. And so Paul says, what I want you to do is not, not just scrap all prophecy, but here's the way to do it. Don't, don't quench a spirit by despising prophecy, but think about it this way. Test it all. Hold fast to what is good and throw out what is evil, right? We get to um, listen when, when, when there's prophecy happening, and I'll define it in just a second, 
but we get to not just take it and say, well, God said so, because we don't know who that person is, and we don't know what God's trying to say, and we're not saying that God said something, but we get to listen to it, we get to test it against the Bible, and we get to evaluate it with other people, and then slowly, with wisdom, walk forward potentially in that. So here's what prophecy is. This is the definition I think that Scott O'Donohue might have whipped up for us, and it's really good, and so I'm going to quote it. Prophecy is giving someone an intelligible message received from the Spirit, not in conflict with the Scriptures, and meaningful to the hearer so that others might be built up and God might be worshipped. That was a lot, so I'm going to read it again. So, so hang with me. This is what prophecy is, and this is really important. Prophecy is giving someone else an intelligible message received from the Holy Spirit, not in conflict with the Scriptures, and meaningful to the hearer so that others might be built up and God might be worshipped. Treating prophecy correctly then and today lets us remember that God is present and active and he does speak. We are a church, and I won't get into all this, but we are a continuationist church. We believe that the Holy Spirit still works and can do these things in and through us as he chooses. And so we, we value prophecy, and we've not had it here a ton, but we pray that by God's grace, he might equip us and grow these things in us. And so this is my encouragement to you as we finish point number three. This is the application for us. Commune with God as often as you can. Paul gives these four um, instructions about praying without ceasing, about walking in joy to help us. Satan wants nothing more than to have you go throughout each day living as if God didn't exist, right? Satan wants nothing more than for us to go head down, going to the store, going to work, doing these things, and just head down, not even being mindful that God is real or has power or wants to connect with us or wants to enable us to do things, and that's what he wants. That's a win for him. We need God in our lives, and we were created to be with him in relationship from the garden all the way to now. So Paul gives us these spiritual disciplines to remind us of God in our lives. And the application is to grow in these four commands that Paul gives. And what I would love you to do first is not say, again, do better. Hey, we'll just pray more or just, just be more thankful. But we get to ask God first. As, as I would talk to my kids or I was at, uh, we'd talk with Tammy right here, my wife, we'd say, I know that in me, I'm not going to just do better. It's not in me to just say, well, I need to stop doing this and I need to start doing this. And so the first step I would invite you all to do is to pray that God gives you the desire for these things, right? To identify, like, gosh, if, I, if I'm not doing well or if I'm unhealthy in some of these areas, what I get to do is say, God, would you give me the desire to love your word? Would you give me the desire to, to see gifts that you have given me and to thank you for them? Would you give me the desire to remember in hard times to rejoice knowing that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you can redeem the hardest of circumstances? And as a really practical note, this is sometimes what I do. I set reminders on my phone. I build rhythms into my life that allow for this. And and so what is that for you? How do you get to, first of all, let God shape you and put in those put those good desires in you, but also how do you get to practically remind yourself and take responsibility for those things in your life? I encourage you to pray that God gives you a greater awareness of him in your life. And that brings us to the close of of point number three, which is remember God. And, And so we've made it to the end, but there's a closing that I really want you to hear because this is the most important part. If you've heard all the instruction this morning, you care about having a healthy church, you probably feel overwhelmed right now. I'm sure the Thessalonians did as, as Paul read this, or they read this letter from Paul. They hear all this stuff, and they want a healthy church, and they're like, if this depends on me, this is not going to happen, right? There's no way that we can do all those things 
for a healthy church, it's not going to happen. And yet these aren't suggestions from Paul. He knows that the health and effectiveness, effectiveness of the church are at stake. But he tells us something in verses 23 and 24 that change everything for us. And I want to give you good news and hope. So let's read this together as I read it out loud. Verses 23 and 24. Now, he gets to the end of all this instruction and he gives this hope to the church. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. It's like, that's, that's good news, isn't it? God is the one that will make all this happen. It's the work of Jesus that sustains the church and secures our sanctification. When, when, the, when the Corinthians were, or Thessalonians were thinking about life after death, and they had these thoughts, and, and Paul told them to do all these things, they were probably thinking, is my sanctification or is my salvation hinging on my ability to do all these things? And what Paul tells them is this, our sanctification is not based on our ability to obey all the commands. The church's health does not hinge on me or you being a good member. We are called to take responsibility for the church's health, all the while knowing and resting in the fact that God is the one that will make it happen. And, and you might be a, a new person here today. Maybe, maybe you don't know Christ. And what we want you to know is this. Um, we want you to know what Jesus did for you. We talk about the work of Jesus or, or what Jesus did. And this is, this is what that is. This is what we're talking about. Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He was the perfect church member. He obeyed all of these commands, and yet he was punished and died on the cross for our inability to live like a member like we should. And the good news is that when we believe in the work of Jesus, his perfect life is given to us. And this is what I want you to know. After all those commands, this frees us to obey God's commands, not for our salvation or for our sanctification, but to join him in his work of rescuing the world. The final application for us today, church, is to know that God has done the work and that frees us then to do all of these commands, to try our best to live in these ways. Um, this is like playing soccer. Knowing, knowing this truth is like playing a soccer game where you're 10 points ahead and there's five minutes left in the game. You are a part of the game. You have a role to play, but the outcome of that game is already secured. It's already taken care of. You know the other team is not going to score 10 points in the last five minutes of the game. And so you get to play that game without the weight of the outcome changing. And that's what we're invited into, knowing this truth. Likewise, members, you are free to be members and to work hard, not for fear of failing, but because our salvation isn't hinged to the work that we do. We get to serve and share the gospel and do our best knowing that the weight of the church's health is on, ultimately, Jesus' shoulders. Paul's faith is not in the church members that they will be able to do all of this, but in God who has already made it happen. So I want to read the rest of this chapter for us, verses 25 through 28. This is what Paul closes with to the church. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And in verse 27, Paul says, have this letter read to all the brothers, and that's what's happening today, right? We are a continuation of the work that the Thessalonian church did. We're reading this same letter today that was read to them. And we know that God has been faithful the whole time. 
they weren't the perfect church members, but they, they tried. They, they took responsibility. And, and where, where we are today, the village church is built on their shoulders as well. The Thessalonians were called to be faithful members, and we stand on their shoulders today, joining in the work of caring for the church, all the while knowing that God is the one that will do it. God will advance his church. God's power is at work in you to make you who you ought to be and to equip you to do the things offer a healthy church. And so we get to rest in this truth. And we also get to work for the health of the church. Knowing our sanctification is secured by Jesus frees us to live out God's commands for the flourishing of the church. And so this morning we're going to respond to any of that stuff that God lays on your heart to grow in or to repent of. Um, there are, will be people by the red tree over there. There is a, a prayer bench over here. Me and my wife will be by this red tree back here. And if you're here for the first time, and I mentioned this earlier, if you don't know anything about Jesus, if, if you are, are not a believer, please talk to us about that. Or if you have any questions, fill out um, a Connect card that's over here and, and put that into the, the cast iron bins, and we will get that and follow up with you. And, and lastly, you're invited to take communion as well. And um, we say this often, but this is not a magical thing. Communion is a reminder to us as Christians what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so the juice is a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed for us. And, and the wafer on top kind of nestled in there, which is so hard to fight through, is Jesus' body that was broken for us. And so we want you to take time at this, at this moment to pray, to repent, to respond, take communion, and then the band will come up and, and lead us. But I'm going to pray for us and I'll invite them to come up. God, thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you for clearly outlining how to, to grow to be a healthy church. Thank you for the practical instruction that you give us. And God, by your grace, let us not do this to earn favor with you. Let us not try these things um, bearing all the weight on ourselves. But God, let us, let us walk in these things knowing that this brings life to the church as this rests on your shoulders. As you are the one that accomplished all of the work and you are the one that will make it happen. God, we need you. Let us be mindful of you in all that we say and do. God, please equip us throughout the day to love others and to care and to take responsibility. And God, at the end of the day, we pray that you would make the Village Church a healthy and effective church. And we pray this in your good name. Amen.